This is a Lip Media Podcast. You're listening to Queers, a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and Benjamin Riley. Hi everyone, it's Simon here and it's the 10th of May 2019. Today I'm interviewing Sally Goldner. Sally has been involved in Victoria's LGBTIQ communities for 20 years. This has included work at Transgender Victoria, co-facilitating Trans Family, presenting 3CRs out of the pan, and being the treasurer of Bisexual Alliance Victoria. She was also just awarded this year an Order of an Australia, which is a massive achievement. In today's interview, we spoke about the distinctions between bisexuality and pansexuality, discussing whether one can even be both bi and pan at the same time. We talked about why biphobia exists in our communities, and in particular within the LGBTIQ community itself. And then we spoke about Sally's work in diversity education. And Sally spoke passionately about how reaching out to communities across the country can be a way to reduce all forms of queerphobia. I want to apologise that there are some slight issues with recording in this uh, interview. In particular, there is a little bit of echo when I speak at the start of my sentences. Uh, that dies down after after a little second, but I'm, I'm sorry about those issues in this case. Unfortunately, we couldn't figure out how to solve them. But otherwise, thank you all for listening. I really enjoyed this interview with Sally, and I really hope you enjoy it too. Excellent. Well, welcome to Queers, and thank you for taking the time. Pleasure, um, we'll start off by, you could tell us a little bit about your current activism and the kinds of work that you're doing at the moment. What's your focus at this point in time? So there's a few across um, all the, well, all four organisations, I suppose, that were listed there. So Transgender Victoria, my key focus there is in the edu- diversity education and training and consultancy that we do, where I seem to have particularly found a niche. Um, so we go out to well, as we say, weddings, bar mitzvahs anywhere and do trans and gender diverse or LGBTIQA plus diversity training. Uh, we also have two projects, which I'm not directly involved with, but are incredibly exciting. Just sort of one's halfway or the first halfway of the first stage, a, pro, a program to look at prevention of family violence for all sorts of relationships for trans and gender diverse and our peer support program that is a partnership with Department of Premier and Cabinet here in Victoria. Um, Trans Family, uh, which started in 2014, so into its um, uh, seventh year now, um, growing rapidly, often we get no one turn up to meetings. We're now averaging 20 family members, which is fantastic and probably will need to incorporate soon. And Bisexual Alliance is just starting on a project called the Bi5, which looks at whether organisations are really will be looking at developing an audit tool for a range of organisations as to whether organisations are really bi-inclusive. Often the B just gets lumped in with L and G. And I think people know what bi means, you know, where gender is not the first thing you're looking for, but they're not sure of the implications and sometimes may not be in either service provision or inclusion be doing that. So... Um, I could say I'm behind on my internet television because there's a fair bit going on. Yeah, sounds like it. I like what I do. Let's maybe start with one area and we'll, and we'll move, you know, move through some yep. of these different areas. 
I mean, in your profiles, you identify as a bi slash pan woman. Uh, I was wondering maybe if you could tell us what you think about the differences between bisexuality and pansexuality. And I mean, is it possibility possible to actually be both of those things? I think it is, and there's a re- my reasoning. Yes, it's a little subjective, but I think there's logic to it as well. When an organisation called Bi Victoria formed uh, around 2000, they wanted to, a definition that was inclusive of, to use today's language, trans and gender diverse, and to some extent intersex people, acknowledging that intersex is not so much about gender, but of course people with intersex variations can have any gender, and they did a very good collaborative thing. They consulted and asked us how we could work it out. So we came up with a definition of attraction to more than one gender, which I thought was really well thought out. And at that point in time, personally, I'd only heard the word bi. And then I heard pansexual in the early 2000s, which, you know, pan means, you know, all or knowing no boundaries of, and that made sense too. So they both equally have a heartfelt resonance for me. And they're both in their way saying, attraction to more than one gender in whatever mix so for me personally they are similar i acknowledge the arguments that the latin purists will say by means too yeah yeah, yeah, but yeah. of course language evolves um, um lots of gay people out there well yes i'm happy but i'm also attracted to people of my own gender and of course we're sitting here on a com- on computers at the moment probably using a mouse that doesn't have a tail or that doesn't squeak or whatever And so I think language can be a little pedantic. And there was a bit of a debate around three months ago on this language issue where, you know, the bi versus pan thing. And in the end, someone came back and said, hey, isn't it the main thing that we just stick together because we need to share our values and we, you know, cop nonsense from both the broader community and elements of gay and lesbians. So for me, we can get a bit hair splitty. I respect anyone's right to use whatever term or terms they want for any part of themselves, including none at all. But for me, that's where I stand. And I think we've just got to work together to find what we have in common. And there has been a small or you know, coming up to steady use of multi-gender attracted as a, an umbrella term in this area. And that's beginning to resonate with a lot of people. So I think um, you know, I don't think the division needs to be as big as it's often made out to be and that we've got more in common than um, that we might have differences on anything, including labels such as buy and pan. Yeah, I like that approach yeah. uh, because there has been some debate around uh, bisexuality and this idea of it being, you know, two genders and even claims that that term could be transphobic because it doesn't take into account multiple gender expressions and it seems that the approach of a more than one gender sort of can deal with that issue and and sort of moves past those pedantic debates around around the terminology and instead suggests you know that you know we have these commonalities about around these sorts of issues and so i i can see you know strongly how that how, how, that, how that works and i assume that you know when you when when people say that you know the term bisexuality might be transphobic that you would disagree with that based on that analysis wouldn't you Well, I agree. And I mean, even if you say it's attraction to two genders, that doesn't necessarily have to mean it's attraction to men and women. It could mean um, attraction to women and non-binary genders and not attraction to men. So, you know, we can sort of go into this sort of left brain bush lawyer approach to use an old Australian saying, or we can say, what's in our heart? What are our values? And if our values are dignity and respect and inclusivity then we say well okay that's important 
and really you can define any label any way you want it's what it means to you in the end we can do broad brush stroke umbrella terms and try to do that but in the end I think just respect and dignity is what matters and if someone says look I'm attracted to more than one gender in whatever combination you know, over my lifetime whether it's and for me to put try and put that a bit more practically, I probably lean more to women and non-binary identities than men, but I still end up in a relationship with a cis male, um, that sort of thing. So I think we can get a, you know, I'd rather come from the heart rather than left brain hair splitting is my approach and look at it from a values approach and, you know, see that we have more in common when we're trying to, to achieve that. There's some really interesting stuff. You said that the work that you're doing at Bisexual Alliance is around looking at whether organisations are really inclusive when it comes to bisexual people or pan people. Uh, and, and, you know, you spoke about the erasure of sort of bi-identities. I wanted to go into that a little bit. Um, you know, I think that this is something we've spoken about on the podcast a little bit, but we've not gone into it in depth about, in particular, the erasure of bi-identities within the broader queer community or the LGBTIQ community. I'm wondering if you maybe have some any thoughts about what are the driving forces that sort of lead to that erasure of bi people or pan people, uh, particularly in spaces that are supposed to be sort of more inclusive? Yeah, well, I think a factor generally both in rainbow communities and in um, broader the broader community, I, I use broader, I don't like the word mainstream, I think yeah. it's very othering. I think we are in a very, we're often in a binary world, um, night or day, black or white, and then getting close to the home gender. There's just male and female, which, and body, well, we know that as well. That's not true because of, in, you know, variations of intersex, that there's more than two bodies. And then it comes to sexual orientation. You're either gay, lesbian, or you're heterosexual. So binary thinking is one factor. The other factor was the approach of the early advocates in our rainbow communities, or some, of an assimilationist approach. And this was where gay men in particular, to some extent lesbians, would take, or some thereof, would take this approach of, hey, heterosexuals, we're just like you. Yeah. Heterosexual, don't tell anyone. We've got a picket fence. We're we're wanting 2.4 kids and a mortgage. I um, I can live with the kids, not sure about the mortgage. But, um, you know, that sort of thing. And through groups like bi, pan, multigender attracted, and also trans and I can't speak for intersex, but there's a logical argument to say it through many people who didn't fit that assimilationist approach out of the bus. And so I think that's been a problem. And I'm also going to throw something up that I think there is either prejudice or internalised prejudice from elements of gays or lesbians that maybe they've come out, but there's still some insecurity and it could be deep down that they're multigender attracted. Or it could just be that they've got some insecurities left over, which is the result of discrimination, not their fault. Oh, I won't deal with it. I'll just dump it on someone who I feel is um, a little more vulnerable, like by and, well, trans as well. So there's a few possible explanations for that. But we all know everything exists in spectrums and um, not either ors. Um, you know, we look at the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom and we see that. So it's not just one or two things. I... I think there's, um, you know, I often ask when I'm asked about gender, there are a lot of comparisons. People say, okay, so how many genders are there? And if I'm feeling cheeky, I'll go, oh, about 7 billion. Yeah. At least yeah. for everyone. I wonder if it's the same for sexual orientation. There's all going to be very, there could be some very similar people 
but there's also lots who um, might just have that difference of degree. So, um, yeah, I think there's a few explanations. Assimilationism, binaries, and the um, perhaps insecurities that result from, you know, in fairness, from gays and lesbians facing discrimination. It just made me think, um, I think it was Freud who once said that, you know, he believed that we were all innately bisexual, but that we're socialized into being monosexual uh, through yeah. through different means. And it made me think of uh, recent polling. I think there's been polling in particular coming out of the United Kingdom uh, that has shown that young people, you know, people aged 18 to 24 are increasingly uh, not identifying as heterosexual. Uh, I think the last poll I saw had like 49% of people at that age group uh, didn't identify as entirely heterosexual and sort of more along different parts of the, the Kinsey scale of some form. And I'm, I'm wondering whether you think, you know, maybe, you know, talking about, you know, this sort of whether we're actually leading to a world where... You know, increasing acceptance of sexuality and diverse genders actually means that sort of that some of these binary notions of heterosexuality and homosexuality may be falling apart somewhat. Oh, yes, definitely. And this links in actually to the We Deserve project um, that we've been running now. It was small, a small number of people in the focus groups uh, and the focus was on trans and gender diverse. But the labels that people use were incredibly diverse for both their gender and sexuality. But what we're finding in a lot of research as we go through things, sure, people might use a label publicly, such as lesbian, but then all of a sudden you start talking about their relationships and a female-identified person will say, oh, yeah, and I did sleep with a guy a couple of times, and, yeah, and then I was in a relationship with a non-binary person. So I, I think we have a bit of an upcoming situation to work through i'll keep the language neutral that some of the binary terms are disintegrating very fast and um, i think that will be you know some people might feel threatened by that uh, i totally respect that gays and lesbians have had to fight really hard to get some degree of quality of life um, but you know you've also got to keep as the saying goes you can't just get your quality of life and then shut the door behind you but to hold the door open for other people to come through so we're going to have to have that discussion carefully and say let's just make sure we value each other and keep bringing each other along i use the concept of a battery cable you know the group, groups that are do have a little more privilege and comfort will have to be the battery cable for the next year. And there's plenty of space of course for all of us let's go with um, the abundance principle rather than a scarcity mentality absolutely keep moving interesting um I'm actually teaching a course in gender studies at the moment, uh, and we've been talking about sexuality the last few weeks. And uh, one of the dis debates we had uh, in, a, in some courses last week, in some classes last week, was about labels, like labels like homosexuality and heterosexuality and, and gay and lesbian and bisexual. And, and some students spoke uh, very passionately about the sort of the need to hold on to those labels that we, you know, that there's an important... They're, they're important politically, they're important uh, socially, that there's something that people can hold on to as a, as a thing. But then we also spoke about how often people might not actually act in the way that the label tells them to. And so I was thinking about the book that came out recently called Not Gay, which is about uh, heterosexual men who, ha who, who also have sex with men, but still identify as straight and, and sort of in, do, you know, but still, but then, you know, on the side have, have sex with men. And I'm wondering about, you know, what just building on what you're saying there about how we balance those those needs to sort of have something that you can identify with, um, but also thinking about how this sort of break, might break down and how these labels aren't particularly useful in many instances. 
Yeah, so, um, you know, it is breaking down. And now it comes back to, there's the diagram, it's called the trichotomy of how we deep down really are and we, um, how we, what label we use publicly and what our behaviour is. And, you know, in a utopian world, I suppose we wouldn't need that. You know, if there was no discrimination, everyone felt safe, they'd say whatever they wanted, what they really thought they were, and that would, of course, match their behaviour. Yep. But, so, I mean, obviously, we've got to all keep working for more, you know, respect and inclusivity and equality and, you know, reducing discrimination and stigma for anyone, I think, is a flying start. But, of course, that's the long-term goal. Where are we now? That we will face this apparent contradiction and it has issues. Um, and again, particularly where relationships involve, are involved, and we have finally, the, in Victoria at least, this huge focus on the issue of family violence, including intimate partner violence in um, rainbow communities where it's been buried for too long. And you know, this means for, say, for mental health type professionals, social workers and so on, you've really got to listen carefully to what that person's saying. They might say, oh, I identify as lesbian, but may not be, or gay man when they're, um, you know, in terms of trying to put, you know, put people in a box, which of course we know we don't want to do. Technically they're bisexual. So it's really about listening carefully to the detail of each individual and treating everyone as the individual they are in a respectful way, I suppose, is our, the ultimate aim for our society. So we've got, um, you know, this breakdown happening and it's going to mean some degree of extra thought, but I don't think it's anything that's, you know, too hard to overcome either. You've spoken a bit about your work in Bisexual Alliance um, and you spoke about the, the Bi5 project and the We Deserve project. I'm wondering, thinking about uh, the issues we've spoken about here in terms of bi-erasure and biphobia, what are the, some of the ways that you think we can overcome these issues, particularly given the sort of obsession we have with binaries, how do we, how do, you know, how do we actively engage in these issues and how do we, you know, deal with biphobia and bioerasure in our communities? I think um, there's a few factors that come to mind there. And one, I'm still quoting my favourite work article of 2018 and it is about 12 months on since I saw it. It was, um, what value does a, a diverse organisation need to have or values does it need to have if it wants to be diverse and one that just stuck with me is curiosity open to learning so yeah we've had binary assumptions we've had you know the outright stigma that bisexuals don't exist or it's a phase or it's a stepping stone to being gay or lesbian and all those things that don't work or you know get off the fence and to which we always say get on the fence the view's better but um, <laughs> Yeah, I think it's just about people being willing to learn and rethink. And the thing that's, from my perspective, stops people doing that is if you are blocked by strong feelings, or if any person is, it's not possible to do that because it's not it's stopping you from rethinking. And of course, yeah, you know, they're worse. The people on the well, proverbial far right or conservative right um, in religion or politics are the worst examples. But there could be some in our own communities. And yes, I understand they've been through trauma and have had to fight for the right to be themselves, but you can't leave people behind or erase them just because it's what you did. I mean, I 
as much I obviously have a huge amount of admiration for the 78 as the people at the first Mardi Gras, but I remember a friend of mine from Bioalliance and I were having a discussion with ones who said adamantly there were no bisexuals at the first Mardi Gras, which I found a bit strange. Very unlikely. Uh, yeah, I mean, what, in the middle of a riot where police were beating the heck out of you, you stopped to ask, so what's your behaviour? How do you see yourself really and what label do you actually use? I don't think so. So I respect that what that person and all the 400 or so others did, but all the same, I think it's a bit rich to just say, well, there was none there. So it's that sort of emotion that I think we've got to work through to be open on any change. And when, um, when we are, when people are curious and open to learning and open to change and unblock, then we'll get somewhere generally. For buyers specifically, it comes down to really sticking to values of equality and respect within the rainbow community for people not speaking for other people that sort of thing so i think and we've got work to do and you know unfortunately we haven't done it that well and going back 18 months the postal survey many bi and trans and gender diverse people i've spoken to and i don't want to speak directly say for intersex but some i've spoken to felt that there was this um, cisgender assimilationist gay and lesbian with the picket fence image who just threw us under the bus and erased us because we weren't um, in very big rabbit or inverted commas normal enough um, and that sort of stuff hurts and we've still got some of those people claiming to be leading advocates and that's a real issue if they're not going to acknowledge that learn and do better so we've got work to do in our communities. It does, this, you know, does cross over to some extent into lateral hostility, which is another conversation that gets swept under the rug. So we need to do that in rainbow communities. But it's interesting as in terms of the broader diversity education I do, go out to broader community organisations and more and more and more people are onto it and are more open-minded. So maybe, you know, in cisgender and heterosexual people haven't all other things being equal. Um, haven't had the degree of damage that you know we've had in our communities and um, you know maybe they they can see that but it's going to take some work within our own communities including some prominent individuals and organizations to get that change through hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I mean, it's interesting that you bring up the marriage equality debate because I remember when making similar critiques to what you're making now uh, before marriage equality had passed, there was always the, the the sort of argument that we need to do marriage equality first and then we'll, and then we'll move on to these these other issues. Uh, and from my reading, you know, not just here but in, in other parts of the world, uh, those you know those people who are leading those th- those campaigns have not moved on to those other issues in you know inverted commas. And I think that that is one of the most disappointing parts, but also probably one of the most expected parts because it's been like we've it's, instead it's been we've we've done marriage equality now we're done uh, for a lot of people, not for all people, but for a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, look, um, that's been the approach that's taken that that was you know, got us to the end of the rainbow or over the rainbow. Well, yes, it was did for 
predominantly for gays and lesbians, but the fights we had to have to make sure the language was inclusive, you know, two people, not just two men and two women, which would have erased non-binary trans people and possibly some intersex people. Um, and one who's public about their situation on that, Tony Briffer, who has something other than male or female on the birth certificate, and they would not have had their, um, Tony would not have had the marriage recognised. So we had to push for that and were nearly forgotten. So, um, and yet people are thinking that. There's people at the grassroots, you know, not just, say, by trans and intersex, but many others who are realising, oh, there's more to do. You know, we've only got a time of this conversation, four out of eight states with reasonable or pa above pass mark birth certificate laws for trans and gender diverse. Um, an interesting thing is New South Wales still doesn't have bisexuality in its state anti-discrimination law, which can leave a gap and some very New South Wales-centric organisations will often just put in their resources, you know, be aware of homophobia and transphobia, but won't put biphobia in. And yet they want those resources to be used nationally when we do have the federal law. So we've got these gaps. And, you know, I feel very strongly for, I'll say, our intersex rainbow family, intersex um, family members, if I can use that term, they haven't remotely had anything like a tipping point yet. And... You know, it still seems like they're battling to get on the board. They're still facing the massive resistance from the medical profession, um, you know, that sort of thing. So, no, we're not over the rainbow by a long way. And as I say, lots of people who, you know, just look into things, do a bit of search engineering, find this out. But unfortunately, we have some people who are stuck in their ways at the top of some of our larger so-called LGBTI organisations and some individuals. And that's a real problem when, you know, we're fighting our own, so to speak, trying to, you know, run into a brick wall and, you know, bruise our shoulders rather than knocking it down. And I don't, I don't, that's where I admit I struggle sometimes to find an answer without, to use the phrase, calling people out, which starts getting very hairy on many levels. Uh, but it might get to that point if those people are not willing to adapt and acknowledge the hurt that was caused by that erasure during the postal survey and at other times. This just goes on to some of your other work. You said at the start that you, through Trans Victoria, that you do a lot of work in diversity education, and I think you said that that has actually become a bit of a, a niche of yours uh, that, that you're focusing in on. Maybe could you tell us a little bit more about that work and, and what does diversity education actually mean for you? So that means getting out to any organisation, um, and as we, as I jokingly say, we'll do weddings, parties, bar mitzvahs, anything. <laughs> um, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's a community sector organisation, a health service, a corporate. But one area that we've developed a little bit of a specialty in, thanks to the National LGBTI Aging and Aged Care Strategy that was released in 2012 and in various ways is continually being reinforced, is we got a big break in about two th in 2014 where we got a third of the funded government, federal government funded aged care LGBTI sessions. We'd really only been doing trans and gender diverse to that point. And this has been enormous because it's then led to all sorts of other things. Um, that started out as a full day's training for senior managers. And they said, that's great. We want all our staff to do it. We can't pull our casual frontline staff off for a whole day. So we developed a three hour aged care it then developed into a three-hour all ages because, say, a local council would come to us and say, well, we've got our youth workers, our homeless and our aged care as well, etc. And we've also 
given some reforms to regulations regarding trans and gender diverse people in custody have been doing training in custodial settings, which has been fantastic. Um, and we are branching across into lots of other things as well, such as housing and homeless, where you know that there's a gender binary that you know, um, you know obviously hits hits very hard. And the good news is we're doing it seems close to um, at least it started out at least a third of the aged care sessions were in regional and rural areas. It's probably more than half now, and that's fantastic. And we're not just talking, say, Bendigo or Ballarat. Um, you know, just um, earlier this week, um, we're out at a relatively small town called Donald in central northwest Victoria. Um, yesterday was not so much an aged care session, but we did a session, a two-hour 101 type of intro on LGBTIQ+, and then two hours on on LGBTIQA plus family violence um, in Wangaratta. And this is fantastic because we know we've had an issue with services being focused in, say, in Victoria, in, in a metro Melbourne, and probably similar in other states and territories. So if we can keep, you know, joining the dots around Victoria and, you know, give more people coverage, and some of our organisers in regional Victoria, you know, who we partner with are very clever, they'll say, pick, say, if it's 25 people, they'll get, say, eight organisations and three people each from a whole range of nearby towns. So we feel more, you know, join more dots, so to speak. And it's just phenomenal to see um, the support and interest. And, you know, of course, we all know how connection and visibility are important. And if someone knows, oh, my gosh, there's that organisation that's done that training and they can find a support or at least have a starting point. So they go and talk to that person and that says, person says, yeah, I know a GP who'd be open to seeing you as a trans person or a bi person or whatever. You're, you know, you're on the way. And so it is really heartening to see and... On a personal level, I feel it brings in all of my skills and knowledge, including bad sense of humour and 60s and 70s television cultural references and that sort of thing. But we make it a bit of fun. We, you know, the big challenge, a big challenge, there's many we could talk about, but people feel like they're going to get preached at or, you know, they'll be lectured at if they ask a wrong question like, what's the difference between transgender and transsexual? And we make jokes about that and say, We'd much rather you are, you know, and say things like we suspend anti-vilification laws for the next three hours. Yeah. You can see this sigh of relief. Oh, thank heavens. And we get asked stuff and then people know it and they're better allies. So it's really rewarding and, um, you know, I just really enjoy it. And we see the results and we get great stories. One of our early aged care clients, um, when we went back to start doing that round of shorter sessions with grassroots staff, um, they had known to you know contact us if anyone came out and tapped into resources and they'd had an older guy come out as gay and they took him along to the group in Victoria that's been running for nearly 70 years called the Boilers Society and it was strictly social um, but the worker who was telling me the story said oh we went along there but he our, our client met someone and fell in love and I'm sitting and we go, we don't recognise him anymore. He walks so much taller now. And I'm sitting there going, ah, to burst into tears. So there's an example of what it does. It's just, it's connection and visibility at its most, well, it's most basic yet most powerful. And, you know, people feel far more confident to engage with Rainbow um, Seniors. And it's just, you know, really making a difference, but also in any setting, whether it's, you know, youth homelessness or whatever else. So we're just, I love it. Um, it really is my niche. I'm not, I did a lot of the advocacy and sort of, well, 
lobbying, if we want to use that word. But I find that a bit stressful at times. But now I feel like I'm you know, hugely making a difference. So you can probably hear that in my tone of voice a bit, to be honest. Yeah, you sound yeah. excited talking about it. Um, can you just maybe, for people who, you know, who haven't thought of, you know, participating in a diversity training or doing those sorts of things or, you know, or think about these issues, you know, through more of a lobbying lens, you know, which is kind of where I often sit, you know, what, what actually, you know, for a three hour training, what do you actually cover in that sort of training? What are you, what are you going to, you know, to these communities, to, to, to people in these organizations, you know, what are you actually covering when you're, when you're talking with them? So, you know, sometimes people think because we had, it is better and we got marriage equality that it can be all over. Well, we know that's not true, particularly for seniors, because, you know, you look at a lifetime of discrimination that they've faced, um, you know, and big, powerful institutions in society like police having a go at gay and bisexual men at beats or um, electric shock therapy from health, profe- you know, medical professionals or conversion therapy. Yeah, that's the big powers of society, you know, really having a shot at you. And it doesn't, that those feelings and memories and perceptions don't disappear overnight. So we do an exercise to help people understand that and get people into an, ensure that ensure they're in an empathic frame of mind. We then do do definitions. And yes, overwhelmingly, people are pretty clear on lesbian and gay. They've got an understanding of what bi is, but may not have thought through the implications like erasure. And then we start drilling down. So trans, you know, I know some trans people might find this frustrating, but we'll talk, you know, say about trans women and you know, mention, you know, um, well, Carlotta or Georgina, Georgina Byer, and then we'll go trans men and someone will say Bruce Jenner. You know. And, you know, that's about, you know, being patient with people because, you know, and then um, we'll say, okay, think Sonny and Cher, oh, Chas Bono, right. And people, you know, trans men haven't had the visibility, so there's an issue in itself. And then discussing non-binary, the two basic definitions we get the most questions on are intersex, um, and it needs some explanation. People may have heard of the terms that I won't mention here that are not appropriate, and then they and then they they sort of get a connection as to what it is. And particularly in aged care, where you've got nurses who may have worked as well in birth wards. Um, they'll, they might have experienced, seen an intersex infant. So there's a possibility. Queer, we have to discuss, you know, that there can be, can be very stigmatising for So we do get some questions on definitions. And then it's the practical tips. What are the little things that we will look for in our communities that will tell, tell us, yeah, this organisation's, well, inclusive or wanting to do its best, and if, there's a, if there is a slip, I won't just be ignored, I'll actually get some support and it'll get fixed, that sort of thing. And the practical tips of working with different bodies, different identities, um, you know, if you're not sure of someone's pronouns, what, what do you do about that, those sorts of things. And, you know, how can you then, once you're starting to do the work, communicate it, you know, so in a country town, you know, local newspapers love stories, you know, say, hey, you know, you did some training and then people read the local paper, that sort of thing. And so that's sort of pretty much what we would cover in a standard three-hour session with variations, obviously, if it's um, seniors or all ages. I appreciate what you're saying a lot about the need to have patience with people. Uh, and I, I find that really interesting 
um, given I think that in many ways in, uh, in, in LGBTIQ politics, we've lost that patience with people or some people have lost that patience with people. And there's kind of an expectation that everybody is on board or everybody is keeping up with all of these, with all of the changes in the terminology and, 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 and the discussions that are happening. And, and often that is not the reality for people. And I, and I appreciate for lots of people, it's, it's, it's exhausting to have to keep explaining or keep or feel out feel like you're keep you know keeping on explaining particularly in online spaces uh, but there's something important about having patience with people who are trying and people who are who are working towards these sorts of you know things if, if someone's not trying and someone's deliberately trying to be a homophobe yeah. then i have no patience but for people who are who are doing their best um it's important i think to be thinking about being patient and, and understanding that you know we're not all always on the same page all the time I, I totally agree with that. I think that's critical. And we can usually get an idea um, of where an organisation overall is at. Um, you know, if we sort of see a value statement um, on the wall where we in the room where we do the training, if it's at their premises or people are constantly talking in the session I was at yesterday, the well, the CEO was there. Now, that's a pretty good sign that this is being driven from the top. And she was really leading in on values as she spoke early on in the session and asked a question. So these are the sort of things, or she entered the introductions, I should say. So once we get that and we know people are coming from the right base, that's a good start. And, you know, I, I, I agree. I also think that most people genuinely want to do the right thing and treat people with respect. And I know when we see some of the more extreme anti LGBTI types, you know, religious politics or for trans people, the so-called radical feminists who are anti-trans and that sort of thing, we think, oh, God, is it really going anywhere? Well, these loud, over-publicised voices, I genuinely believe, are a minority and the majority of the proverbial average citizens, particularly those working in health and aged care who are naturally empathic and compassionate and people-oriented want to do the right thing. And all they're asking us for is the detail and then they can go and do it. And, yeah, it's it's frustrating. I wish we could, you know, go snap and wave a magic wand, snap our fingers and all the discrimination of all sorts went away. But, you know, people don't know what they don't know. But if they, they know they don't know and they want to end up knowing what they know, that's where we come in. And I think that whether it's transgender Victoria, obviously we're proud of what we do, but there's lots of other people doing a lot of work. Um, in this area and doing it well, minus 18, do some education as well. And look, I am the first to admit that I couldn't, I only rarely do stuff with younger people. It's perhaps not my biggest specialty. Um, but I, you know, I feel that obviously younger people relate better to a younger person than a middle-aged chook-in-a-pansexual like me. But, um, you know, I think all of it's valuable because it builds the allyship and understanding and people have responses for where something honestly goes wrong, such as a misgendering situation, but also if it's a willful thing, um, you know, they can also have other strategies in place as well. So I firmly believe let's give people a shot. Let's, you know, see that they're trying to work, build on it. And I think plenty are. Um, and so, yeah, let's, you know, I, know, I wish people knew everything automatically, but they don't. And that, you know, flipping that over, you know, I have my lived expertise, say, as a white trans and bi, binary trans, bi woman, etc. But I don't know what it's like for a non-binary person of colour, for example. So I have to be an ally to those groups as well. So, you know, we can only keep learning. And I think um, if someone 
is willing to learn and go, oh, and so, you know, maybe you do make an honest mistake in something and someone says, hey, that's not on. You go, oh, didn't know that. Fine, reprogram. I think that's where it comes back to that curiosity and openness to learning and change again. Yeah, and I think empathy is really important there too, isn't it? Because uh, we can't all have, uh, we all have different lived experiences uh, and we can't all, you know, uh, connect, you know, we, we can't all have experienced the same things of people with different identities, but empathy is such an important thing to be able to understand those experiences and be able to connect with them in some sort of way. That's the thing, to be willing to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And, you know, if you get come at this again from the overall basics that, say for me as a trans person, um, I go, okay, it sucks that I don't have, a, say, a birth certificate um, that reflects my true sense of self because that's discrimination and society's not working. And then I look at a society that you know, has lots of stairs and no ramps and think, well, it sucks that society's not treating people who need, have mobility issues and um, think, and similarly carefully. Once you start building, you know, sort of exercising the empathy muscle, it keeps going and you just think, that's not on, you know, and why should, you know, people of a different skin colour be put down just for who they are and so on. Of course they shouldn't. So you start thinking, well, how can I be more inclusive and listen in and that sort of thing. So I think it flows. If you can move past some of that emotion I mentioned earlier and get to a point of empathy and have the room for other people, I think that, you know, it can keep going from there. That's actually, I think, a really uh, great place to end. I actually do have more questions for you, but we've been talking for 40 minutes already. So I think we might... <laughs> We might have to. We might have to. We might have to stop there. Um, Sally, thank you very much for taking the time to join us on Queers. I really enjoyed this interview. Thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed this interview, maybe consider subscribing to us on our Patreon. We release Patreon-specific episodes every month, and we also have other new content that goes on the website. Uh, it is also a great way to support the podcast and ensure that we can continue making it in the future. Otherwise, if you'd like to get in touch or make a comment, you can do so very, through various ways on the internet. You can email us at queerspodcast at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at queerspodcast. We also have personal social media accounts. I'm on Facebook at Simon Copland Writer, and on Twitter at Simon Copland. Ben is on Twitter at Ben C. Riley. You can also, of course, find the podcast on our website, which is queerspodcast.com, or please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you do, leave a review and rating. Also, finally, just tell a friend. I know that most of the podcasts I listen to come from friends' recommendations. And so if you enjoy this podcast, maybe tell someone else about it and maybe they'll enjoy it too. Finally, thanks, of course, to our podcast network, Lip Media. We've really appreciated the support we've received from Lip over the past few weeks. Uh, as after we've joined them, and we're really excited about working with them more into the future. Lip also has some other great podcasts on their network, so you should go and check those as well. Thank you as always for listening, and we'll speak to you again in a couple of weeks' time.